All right, this is James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320. And we're doing something new, something different, something we haven't done in a while. It's been, I think, 13 or 14 months since I've had a podcast. Uh, I missed a podcast. It's something that I think is such an amazing creative outlet. Um, but now I have switched gears. I've left NBC Sports and starting over a little bit, we're going to do some really cool stuff. I, I want to cover the Sacramento Kings in a different way. And that means we're going to do weekly and sometimes two times a week podcasts. Sometimes I'll have a big name guest, a Kings player, a major media member from outside of Sacramento. Uh, guys like Jerry Reynolds have already committed to dropping by. Uh, but other times it'll be um, a little bit more low key where we're discussing what's happening with the team. And to do that, I'm going to bring in a good friend of mine to be my co-host. Mr. Sean Cunningham from News 10. Sean. Hey. What's up, James? Ham and Cunningham show. We should have done this a long time ago. I don't know what we were thinking. but My people didn't call your people or your people didn't call my people. Something got lost in the mail. Something, yeah, yeah. So this is exciting. Uh, I think it's really cool. We're going to sit here and talk about the Kings that we've covered uh, for a long time. And, you know, I don't think you're going to find two guys with more knowledge on this team, this franchise, than Sean and I. And, uh, and then sometimes we're going to do it like today. We're actually at the Yard House. Uh, you <laughs> we're going might, full transparency right here. Yeah, yeah. We're going to just open it up here and, and, and kind of like, and I think, Sean, that's what I've decided after, after so many years of covering this team. This is my 12th season. You're in year 20, which is amazing. I want to do things differently. Um, so... Like, there aren't going to be any more game recaps. There aren't going to be any more sidebars that you really don't want to read, but you click on it because I wrote it and you feel obligated to click on a link on Twitter. Uh, I think from here on out, for myself, I'm going to beat right from Twitter. I think it's a spectacular platform to give you information as it's happening. I'm going to do game recaps on Twitter. I'm going to do... Uh, injury injury reports on Twitter um, and a lot of the basics and then you're going to get some long form journalism from me which is coming up you're going to see that soon on the Kings beat and uh, and then we're going to do these pods and these pods I I hope that they they really work out and and we're able to give you something that you're just not going to be able to get anywhere else and so so Sean I'm excited for this this adventure Um, I, I don't think people understand all the things that you do covering sports in Sacramento. It's not just Kings coverage. What Give us like a, a, a <laughs> synopsis of what Sean has done for the last 20 years, which to me, if you don't know Sean, um, an incredible hard worker and just a guy who really controls so many things for sports on News 10. Check is in the mail for James Ham. Thank you. <laughs> I need you as my agent. So, yeah, for people who don't know, I mean, first 10 years, I was working at KHDK in high school. So my whole... My whole birth of my media career starts as a high school student at Elk Grove High School, working at Sports 1140 KHDK, and graduating to television after I got let go in 2010. And when I got let go in 2010, I get asked all the time, and there people are like, you know, what do I do? What's my what's the advice? Like, how do you get into the business? I'm an anomaly. Like, I had an illegal internship. Like, I was volunteer. They let me in. I learned my way. They hired me. Uh, I had some people in my corner, like Chris Weber. I've had some people in my corner, like Matt Lauer and Carson Daly, and people who really kind of pushed the door down for me at one point. So, um, it, I always say it's a who you know, ba- you know, relationships are so big. You can have all the education in the world and all the debt that comes with it, 
but unless you're doing it, you know, that that's really what it comes to. And I owe a lot to celebrity golf tournaments for getting me there. Fast forward to Channel 10, literally I took a flyer on a job where it became uh, a high school sports producing job that they're like, hey, this job isn't going to go anywhere. We want you as this. And I said, well, I'll treat it like a paid internship, like a real internship. I do it. Ten years later, here I am, sports producer at 10. I think people have a, don't really know what sports producer is. It means you literally, and as I always am wearing a hat, you literally wear every hat. You're on air, you're off air, you're doing interviews. I'm shooting my own stuff. I'm editing my own stuff. I'm writing both for digital, for television, for stuff that people present on the air. I can present it myself, but usually I don't because I'm out in the field getting more content. So it goes through everything. NBA, the Kings are just the heart of it. It's been in Sacramento. Um, you know, it, it's, been a, it's been a tremendous opportunity. I never thought I'd, you know, be in Sacramento this long in my own hometown covering the hometown team I grew up rooting for but now it's such a much like yourself it's a different kind of atmosphere when you start covering them as opposed to rooting for them and the fanship is completely gone not that you don't want to see them do well because it coincides with your own success in the journalism field so there is that but yeah you want to see them do well you want to see the the city grow from it and and these these tortured fans but yeah the the long-winded answer it's Kings. It's it's first and foremost Kings. It's UFC. It's Giants. It's Bay Area teams. And I've, and, and the thing that really sucks is when the King season ends, I gravitate to the Warriors where playoffs begin and finals. We've had all that run. So from World Series to Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, to UFC championships, to high school football, to the Sacramento Kings, that's what it all entails. Yeah, I, Sean has lived an interesting life. And, you know, he, like, <laughs> name drops. Yeah, Carson Daly. Yeah, and, I know. <laughs> I know. And Matt Lauer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Um, you know, like we we were talking the other day, and um, yeah, Sean knows Kevin from the Office. Yeah, Brian Baumgartner. <laughs> um, he's got a book coming out. Check it out. Yeah, there he's been <laughs> plugging this thing everywhere. Um, we may have uh, the Ham household may have have purchased one. May one might be on the way. Um, yeah. So look, we're gonna talk mainly basketball. We're gonna talk mainly Kings, um, but we're gonna try to give you a little bit of humor, a little bit of personality what you don't know about us and and sort of give you like a drop the the third wall you know a little bit here and and that's what I'm hoping to do so um, you know we're in the the midst of the opening you know weekend of the season Um, the Kings are one and two Uh, they they played extremely well in the opener and let let off the gas and almost lost to Portland but were able to hold on Uh, you get to Utah which is one of the better teams in basketball same thing Played really well through three quarters, faded down the stretch. We get to the third game, uh, same thing again. Golden State, they they played extremely well. They had a lead at half. They played well defensively in the first half, but you fade and you can't figure out how to complete games. Sean, just what is your early thoughts on the first three games that we've seen and sort of what you would like to see from this team uh, as they tighten it up and, and try to get that, that win to move back to 500? I think the most encouraging sign is the fact that we've talked about for the past few, really the better part of a month now, is this defensive effort that you're seeing. But it is not, it's not translating to every single quarter, mm-hmm. and the offense does look a little disrupted because of it. Defense can be the best offense. We've heard that so often from coaches in this league, but uh, we're not really seeing that defense turn into offense so often, and I think it's a little janky right now. Um, but it is, it's great to see because I know it's so early in the season, but you're seeing that defensive effort and it's really translating whether you're watching it in person or on the, or a practice, a summer league, whatever. It's, it's like everything's on the same rope right now. And it's very, there's a lot of continuity. We're hearing that, that word a lot 
And it's it's true. I mean, continuity builds a lot of these things. And it's really encouraging to see if you're a team that if you're a fan that's just been absolutely disgusted by defensive effort with this team. Certainly, there's moments that are going to arise from time to time in certain games um, where things really don't look good, and we've seen that in the fourth quarter. So while I do think the defensive effort is there, I think it's causing this jankiness. You have some different personnel on the floor, and I think it's, it starts and stops with De'Aaron Fox, and he hasn't really been right. And I think he's probably the biggest concern I have, even through three games. It is a small sample size, but I think he clued us in today as we record this at practice, which is he's not making too much of a deal about it. He's not talking about the shoulder, which does look like it's bothering him, but he says it's fine. Mm -hmm. But the thing to me that really stood out, James, was the fact where he's trying to chalk it up to, well, it's just poor shooting. It's just poor shooting. Possibly not getting to the free throw line, not getting the benefit of some of these calls as he drives to the paint so often. Luke Walton tried to bring that to attention today. But the little sprinkle of sugar that I think he gave to us today was the fact that he doesn't have the ball in his hands like he's used to having. And he's sharing it so much with other playmakers like Tyrese Halliburton at the same time and Davion, Davion Mitchell at the same time as well at certain points. And I think that's really kind of been an adjustment period for him because he is so used to having the ball in his hands. And while he won't say, hey, we're still figuring each other out and this is affecting our game, I think it's that's the cause the root cause of not even having the pace that we'd like to see that Luke Walton has talked about in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. that's been the bugaboo for this team. But even for De'Aaron, he's trying to figure things out a little bit. And I think it's kind of intriguing to watch, but I think it's also a big disruption in the, what we've seen when this team isn't right so far. Yeah, see, I've talked about the depth of this team repeatedly. And, and then I'll explain, I believe that the depth that this team has, it's, it's a different type of depth. There's depth as in, hey, look, we've got you know, five guards that can all play. There's depth that, you know, we have three big men and they're all different. And, you know, there's depth that that they have length and athleticism, you know, things like that. But I think there's also depth in the scoring category. And what I think we've seen through the first three games is Fox pops off with 27 in the opener, but then the next two games really struggles. The only constant so far has been Harrison Barnes, Mm. who's been absolutely incredible. incredible. But two games we see Buddy Heald have huge nights. One game we see Davion Mitchell. Uh, we haven't yet seen Tyrese Halliburton really have a breakthrough. He had 15 in one game. Uh, he stuffed a stat sheet in the third game, but he really, I think so the depth that I'm going to talk about is kind of what you're talking about with Fox. Fox knows that this team needs him to put up 27 for them to be great, but he also knows that they have the ability to have like five or six guys who can drop 30 any night. And you gotta feed the hot hand. You can't be selfish. You've gotta be selfless. And, and you've gotta let someone else shine. And even we saw late in the game against Golden State, uh, Buddy Heald hit him on a fast break. He fired it right back to Buddy for an in-rhythm three-point shot that I thought was tremendous. And so basically, when I talk about depth, I, I think that that's gonna be the biggest thing for me. It's that we're going to see all kinds of different looks from this Kings team. And some nights, Fox isn't going to have a huge night, and he doesn't need to have a huge night. But we do need everyone to start firing on the same cylinders. Because if you can get to a point where the nine guys that are playing, and and you can kind of wipe out Mo Harkless and Tristan Thompson as far as scoring, but the, the, the core nine guys, if we have a night where six of them or seven of them just can't miss, 
this team has the capabilities of putting up 150 points. I mean, there is a lot of talent. We still haven't seen Terrence Davis have a good night at all. He's really struggled, and and I don't think it's that he's struggled to like to shoot. Yes, he, he hasn't hit a shot, but I think what he's really struggled is where am I going to get my shots? How many shots am I going to get? How do I sh get out of the shooting slump? Um, and that's really hard when there's just so many other players that need the touch and, and who need minutes. And so I, I think it's really sort of an interesting experiment that uh, that Luke has to go through. And, you know, we, we talk about Kevin from The Office. It's kind of like <laughs> the chili, you know, the chili from the episode where Kevin drops his giant pot of chili. And he says the secret is you got to, we talk about this, you got to undercook the onions. And, and I think at this point. Oh, they're undercooked. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think the onions were overcooked. Oh, okay. And so now we've got to a point where it, they're not absorb, absorbing all the flavors nearly as quickly as you want. So I just think this, this team needs a little bit more time in the pot to, to stew and oh, kind no of figure doubt. out. And it's a small sample size. And you, I'm glad you mentioned Terrence Davis because, look, the, the, the we, for people who don't know, when we talked about this, like the the inspiration behind this team is to go from 30 dead booty last in the in the league and improve upon that. Maybe you get to 20, maybe you get to 15. And in doing so, you keep a lot of the continuity that you had. You keep a lot of the familiar faces. You bring back someone like Alex Len, who you have that continuity with, a little bit of familiarity. Yep. In doing so, what does that translate to wins and losses? Because, look, you were knocking on the door of the play-in of the play tournament last year. I think 33 wins gets you into the play-in tournament last year, Yeah. if I'm not right. Yeah. Okay, so if, if, you're tw if you're 10 spots better, 15 spots better in the West or in, in the league defensively, how does that translate to wins and losses? Point being, Terrence Davis comes in last year, and the thing that blew me away, and I remember telling you this, like, the guy had an ultimate green light. And this guy was just chucking shots. And I remember looking around and I'm like, hey, if I'm Buddy Heald, who, again, was asked to play a role last year that is different this year. He doesn't have to be that playmaker anymore. Yep. I think he wants to be that good teammate. But Terrence Davis was effectively taking shots that Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald wouldn't take. Because Harrison, for whatever reason, doesn't see himself as that score. All of a sudden, we're seeing that. Yeah. Luke has talked about, hey, no, take eight shots from from distance yeah, every he, single game. He, Luke has empowered him. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he tried to do it last year, but I think it really took the benefit of the offseason and hearing his teammates saying, no, we want you to be this guy. Yeah. Now, can he still be that guy going forward? Where are we in December? Who knows? But to Terrence Davis's point, like the guy has struggled. All of a sudden, those shots aren't there. And it's because Buddy and Harrison are playing different roles. Yeah. And so now Terrence Davis kind of has to find his way. And here he is mixed into the starting lineup at one point without having Mo Harkless there uh, for that one game. It, it was interesting because I wanted to see him come out and fire, and he really didn't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really kind of laid an egg. So um, it's just the mentality. Cause I think that it's so much of a mental uh block for this team right now because everyone anticipates this team being really really good offensively and there's so much effort being put in defensively but at the same time they're still trying to figure each other out yeah and, and going back to the fox discussion like that's a challenge for luke walton and i know it's a challenge for De'Aaron, but De'Aaron's going to shine however i mean he's the head of the snake as they always say yeah it's up for it's up to luke to really have to pinpoint how to play through these rotations in these lineups and find that group that can work and really empower guys to shoot like Harrison and, and stay on him because 
I, I do have a, I do suspect that that those numbers that we're seeing, not necessarily the scoring, but even just the shot selection in general, he's putting up the shots we want to see in December. Does it does it wane a little bit? Does it come down back to the maybe the eight or nine shots we've seen a game per game from him in the past? I have a big question mark there. Yeah, I, I think Luke has a lot of work to do. I mean, we talked to Luke uh, after practice, and you know, again, I asked him very specifically, "Have you talked to De'Aaron about sort of?" Like, what's happening? And he said, yeah, yeah, we've had conversations. Like, look, it, it's so different to have, you know, the luxury of having a guy like Buddy Hield who can come in and, and who shot, what, 14 threes in the second game, 14 or 15 threes, uh, to have a guy like Davion who, you know, had a quiet two games, but then all of a sudden he did almost what he did in Summer League. I'm going to show you what I am as a defender. And now I'm going to take it, and I'm going to show you what I can do as a scorer. Yeah. And then I, I almost assume that the next thing he's going to do is go, okay, now I'm going to show you what I can do as a passer, because this is exactly what he did in the California Classic in Summer League. And then so we're going to get through the first four games, and I expect him to all of a sudden have, like, seven assists in a game. And you're going to be like, okay, well, we like that scorer guy, and we like the defender guy. And he's going to try to sprinkle in what he has of all of that. Um, but he's still trying to find his way in the league. But, you know, again, I, we're kind of seeing the progression that Halliburton went through last year where he really struggled to find who he was within certain groups. But then as soon as you took Fox off the floor, he just just took off. Right. I mean, he's just incredible. He's, uh, like his court vision, his passing ability, all those things are absolutely spectacular. And we're missing that right now. It's like, where's Halliburton? And all of these guys are just trying to figure each other out and how do we complement each other and I think when you're going in practice and you're you're playing all of these uh, five on five games well they're not playing together you know Fox and Halliburton are playing together but they're not getting all that three on three action the, right. the three guard set that we you know that's not what they did all the time in practice because that's not how you, you put your ten best players on the court you have some subs and, and the young guys um, and I just don't think that they've, again, they, they haven't spent enough time together in order for all of them to accept the roles that they have and to figure out what their role is, what their niche is with the team. And I think there's a lot of room to grow here offensively uh, and defensively. I think they have been much better. It doesn't always translate. And you need to give a team a little bit more time to kind of figure out what their defensive identity is. So what are, what are your takeaways well, from watching Davion? Well, Go ahead. Yeah, especially Davion. I mean, you just mentioned him a second ago, and I think he's low-key a troll. I mean, think about that. We saw about what he did in Summer League yep. and that big matchup against James Booknight. Everyone was looking forward to it, right? Oh, yeah. He goes out and he, he, he watches film, and he shuts the guy down. Absolutely makes an embarrassment out of him. Um, Corey Kispert, I mean, he's having nightmares of him again after losing to him in the in the championship game <laughs> yep. in college. And then here he is, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, Davion's defense is incredible. They're all looking for stuff. And do people forget that there's two lottery picks on the Warriors in yeah. Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody and Davion Mitchell's in Sacramento? Go back to draft. A lot of people thought the Warriors might take Davion Mitchell. I think that was a little bit of an FU from Davion Mitchell to the Warriors. I didn't think we would see Davion Mitchell in his first three games have a 20-point outing. Yeah, I was shocked. And so him, I mean, he had like 15 in the first. He's aware of the narratives. He's aware of people who've drafted around him. Look, not to say he's not thrilled to be in Sacramento, but this is the type of motivation this guy uses. Yeah. And I've, I asked him about it in Summer League, like stuff like, like he's very conscious 
of these types of moments. And where everyone's looking forward to him, we watched that Warrior game. I tried to count, and I think it was fewer than six six moments where he actually picked up uh, Curry on his own. And part of that was because they threw so many action at him, yeah. so many picks, and Curry never stops moving, right? Uh, and so Curry, with his speed, even at the age that he is, was able to get away from, from Davion Mitchell. There weren't many moments where you saw them mano a mano without a screen where they had where he had to work. And Curry, for the most part, made him look kind of silly. Not that he shook him. He, was right. he still just made him work, and he still scored. Point being, though, he knew he was going up against Curry. He knew he was going up against the Warriors, who had two lottery picks on the team that were basically taken, in, you know, taken around him. And here he is going up against the Warriors, and he wanted to show that, oh, yeah, I can score too. Yeah. The guy is absolutely fascinating to watch. I think he's a fascinating addition to this team, much like Tyrese last year. And to go back to what you were saying about Tyrese and just kind of him trying to make his way, to me it's very simple. This team still, with the with the loss of DeLon Wright last season, this last offseason, they only really have two true playmakers on the team, yep. and De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, and they're starting both of them. I think that's part of the problem right there. You yeah. know, Davion is not... He's a fine playmaker. It's not his bread and butter. It's not what he's elite at. And he's not there yet. He's not there yet. Two, year, two no. years from now, he'll be fine. 100%. Defensively, he's so further ahead than he is offensively. Well, and I actually think, I mean, if you're looking at him and, and Tyrese for that, like I feel like Davion will be more of a scoring guard than Ty, even Tyrese will be. Now, look, Tyrese has a nice shooting ability, a uh, little funky shot, and I know that scared some people. Davion, with his size, he's pretty pretty consistent from outside with his shot yep. um, but obviously the size is an issue but I feel like Davion is more of the combo guard whereas you know obviously Tyrese is so much of a pure point guard the, the, a prototypical point guard that can, has the vision and can see everything and is capable of leading a team um, to me like you said you need a little bit more of a sample size but I think some of the struggles is the fact that you're starting two playmakers and that second unit doesn't really have that playmaker so you're yeah. forced to kind of leave one of those guys on the floor um, we did see moments and I thought you know, I thought we would see have to see Fox or Halliburton on the floor at all times. And Luke has shown the trust in Davion to be able to control that second unit at times, where you have got, where he can rely on him as a playmaker and give a blow to Tyrese and Fox. Yeah, I think that there should come a point where either Fox or Halliburton are on the floor 100%. the entire game, yeah, and so to. that means that Luke needs to come in with an early sub at like the six minute mark of the first quarter, drop in a Buddy Hill or drop in a Davion, and then bring Halliburton back at the end of the first quarter and have him take over for segments and kind of go back and forth. I mean, I just the way that they both need to create, the way they both need the ball in their hands. And to be honest with you, I think that Halliburton and Fox should work because Fox is a much better catch-and-shoot three-point shooter than he is a creator-off-the-dribble three-point shooter. And I want to see Halliburton create for, for him and for Buddy and for Davion. I think Davion is a much better catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, which is what we saw a lot at Baylor from him. Um, and then I think Fox, the same thing. Like, Fox creates for these guys yeah. and, like, get them open looks. And we talked about this before, like, in our in our battles behind the scenes, like, <laughs> should the Kings trade for Ben Simmons or not? Yeah. I always said, like, look, I don't think they have enough playmakers. And, and sometimes you got too many playmakers. I think you have too many guys right now that want the ball in their hands. If all of them would accept the fact that they should be catching and shooting a lot like what Harrison Barnes has been doing, uh, I, I think this team has a chance to be really, really exciting offensively. And so, again, like we, the other thing I'll bring up, this is kind of one of those behind-the-scenes things. Um, 
when we first got Davion, super quiet, right? He, uh, like, six, eight-word answers. Everything is super sh- short. Lately, over the, the course of, like, training camp and, and into the preseason and where we're at now, they're giving us Davion, like, almost every single day. He's been a chatty Cathy. He has. <laughs> and you know what? He's warming up, and he's smiling more, and he's starting to get comfortable. And I think, you know, kudos to Alex and Rasan because I think that, that uh, the Kings Media Relation guys, they know he's got more. They have conversations with him behind the scenes. And they want us. They want to pull that out of him and let him kind of be one of the voices, and hopefully that translates to him finding his voice within the team and being uh, more of an assertive leader and everything else. So again, we we've talked to him about he's close with Chris Paul. Uh, Damian Lillard reached out and they had conversations. Donovan Mitchell talked to him all the way through the draft process. He's a guy who's already making friends all around the league. But even the Chris Paul connection, that's the guy who he really is centered on. And he wants to be more like Chris Paul. The biggest thing, like, you can hate Chris Paul watching him and the right. way that he does his antics and all that stuff. Uh, Michael Malone told me years ago, the greatest leader he's ever been around in the, at the NBA level, including LeBron, because he was with LeBron with the Cavs. Um, but the greatest leader is Chris Paul. And those are things that I would like to see from Davion. Like, find your voice, find who you are. And even if that is finding your voice in the media and then having that translate to having a bigger voice behind the scenes, I think it's a good thing. Well, and we saw that firsthand. Like, think about those two first two games, California Classic. And I know it's Summer League, but the guy literally shows up and then days later, after his press conference, after being drafted, he's playing basketball with, with you know, in, in not meaningful games, but in Summer League games. And those Cal- that California Classic game, I remember zoning in on him and going, he's not talking. There's yeah. zero communication from him. In fact, I remember at one point, <laughs> I think it was Marcus Graves, shout out the Sac State kid, uh, who will be on the Stockton Kings. The Stockton Kings, and also they got his birth date wrong, so they he did. said 1985. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little long in the tooth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he's the one pulling Davey on his side, and you can see him gesturing like, no, we need, we need you to talk. Yeah, yeah. We need you to talk. They get down to Vegas, and there was about four or five days in between that and I'm watching the first practice, and I'm like, this is entirely different. Yeah. Fast forward to that first game, and it's leaps and bounds different. Now fast forward to the championship game, and he is just a vocal leader on that floor. And he's absolutely wearing what you would expect to see from what you saw in Baylor. He was such a vocal presence, somebody that was, you know, leading, telling people where to go. He had guys like Lou King who and Jemias Ramsey, who were also part of Stockton Kings, and literally pointing them out no you go here you go here that was vastly different from what we saw at california classic so yeah him getting his foot is his kind of footing in the in the league a little bit he's already been in camp and it's so funny people think it's so strange that oh you've got De'Aaron fox and buddy healed saying that this guy's the best on-ball defender or a top five on-ball defender in the league it's like they're going up against him for the better part of a month yeah so <laughs> yeah i mean right now it may be a small sample size but they're tired of seeing him so now you're seeing it in games, in his NBA games, and you were three games through, I think, I mean, if you're grading this kid right now, it's got to be off the charts. I mean, he's, yeah. he's probably the best kid in class right now. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen anything. I mean, like, the only defender that I can remember that was anywhere near close to this is Ron Artest. Yeah. And, then, and then, you know, Doug had some moments as a defender, um, and, and again, guarding the best of the best of the best is, is what Doug was up against, you know, playing Kobe nonstop. Um, I just think what we're seeing from Davion, and I also think, like, we've, we've talked about this, like, we've asked this question. 
Um, the fact that he, in game one, has to go up against Dame and CJ. In game two, he gets uh, Donovan Mitchell. And people forget, Jordan Clarkson was the mm. sixth man of the year last yeah. year. He averaged 18.6 a game, something like that. Game three, he goes up against Steph and Jordan Poole. And Jordan Poole is so much so improved. So much improved, yeah. But each one of them gives you a different look. Steph is like a master's class. Like, like these other guys, Donovan has gone up against players that aren't as good, but they play that style of a, of a Dame or a Donovan Mitchell or a, a, name that guy that he went up against in the first two games. There's no one like Steph. There's no one like him in the world. And the way that he runs off all these ball screens and stuff, there's no way to feel that. You have to experience it. I mean, yeah. it, there's only one way, it, you know, you, you have to literally sit there and feel it. I mean, you can think that you know how to snowboard by standing up in the middle of your car on carpet <laughs> good luck you, you get put on on snow black diamond and it's like <laughs> what in the world is going on here um uh, there's it, without experiencing it there's nothing you can do no and, and think about that game against utah and i remember sitting there i don't know if you saw my face I, i'm shooting that moment and, and i and you'll remember this before he took the ball away from davion or from uh, donovan mitchell he had already kind of blocked off one path to where he had to go now dribble to the other side of the court, and you could hear the just the the appreciation from the crowd building. He yeah. hadn't even taken the ball away yet. He just shut off one alley. He's now going to the other side of the perimeter, and he's about to drive. You could already hear the anticipation just building from the fans, and then he takes his lunch away. Yeah. And not only does he take his lunch away, it leads to a lob on the other end. In a bucket. That place, that's the loudest I heard the building all year. I mean, all year. Three games, two games yeah. in the building. But it was the loudest I'd heard the building ever, and it was from a defense. They absolutely applauded a defensive effort, and that's a signature moment for him. Yeah. And, and here he is talking about his top shot moment. I, there's no way that moment doesn't doesn't win. If the, if, if the fans are going to vote for his first top shot moment, it's that's got to be, be it. It's it got to be where he just, like, strips. Well, he also had to play late in the game where Mitchell trying to shake him on the three-point line. And he just couldn't shake. Couldn't him. do it. Like he he kept pump faking. And he kept and Mitchell just stood there. And, and so, both of those plays happened after he tried to put Joe Ingles on a poster. Oh yeah, and Joe Ingles <laughs> bodies him. Joe Ingles gets tossed. Jingles goes to gets tossed for for a flagrant two against a rookie. Yeah, like, and that was a long way down. Yeah, I mean he got up. Uh, what I like too is uh, I mean this has become like the the uh, Davion Mitchell podcast, right? Um, what I like is that when he'll let someone go to the hole, like you can see him, like he'll give them that first step, but then he does something where he gets into him with his, his right hip. Like if they're going left, he'll get into them with his, the, his lead hip going to the basket and they can't get off the ground. He takes away their ability. He's so strong. They can't go through him. And he takes away their ability to extend upwards and, and go up for a shot, and it's remarkable. Like I, we have, he's doing things on on a basketball court that I think are going to be things that other people study and go, "How do I do that?" Because yeah. he's doing some things that we don't know why he's able to do what he's doing. He's an athletic freak. I mean, the yeah. best the best way to judge athleticism is to look at a guy's lateral quickness, and he is off the charts. Yeah. Some people just always look at how high can a guy jump, how fast is he. It's lateral quickness, and that's your right. He gives a step, but then he uses his body to get. You know, Fox oftentimes will give a guy a step, and he loves the chase down block. Right. Yep. He likes to be able to get him from behind, and a lot of times it works. But Fox can make up for that with his speed, unless he's going up against somebody 
like a John Wall or somebody who has that yeah. type of speed, you know, where he almost, you know. But my goodness, especially if a guy can't. I, I'm I, what I've been waiting to see though. We saw in the preseason he picked up Paul George. Oh yeah. Nobody has used their like a bigger opponent where you're like like even Steph. Now Steph's an anomaly because that guy can shoot from anywhere and he would. He just pull yep. up. He's got three feet in front of him. He'll pull up and he can get the ball off so fast. What's Chris Paul gonna look like? Now, granted, that guy's 36, 37 years old. Yeah. But still moves like a guy who's in his prime. And Devin Booker, who has a little bit of a size advantage on him, you got to throw. It. I mean, if, if I'm looking at it, and that's the game coming up with Phoenix, I got to throw Davy on at Booker. Oh yeah, he's going like against both of them. I, I don't care. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, go out there. We'll switch. We don't care. You just stay on one of the two. We'll take you away. Like, and you know, no one will guard Mikhail Bridges at all. They'll just leave him out there and like, you're gonna do whatever you're gonna do. We don't care tonight. <laughs> we don't care. Yeah, they're they're power forward. I, you know, they're just gonna leave the power forward wide open. Um, yeah, uh, for me, like, it, it's been fun to watch. It's it's fun to watch a player come into the league and give you something that's elite automatically, and, and that's something that we're seeing from Davion. And I, I didn't expect him to have this kind of, like, you look at the schedule and you're like, okay, this is going to be really difficult for him to learn. And we're watching it every game. Every game he shows something, and, and I think it's really cool. So um, let's, let's move away from Davion because – we just spent like 30 minutes talking about him. Uh, but that's going to happen. I mean, there's going to be moments. We're excited because it's fun to watch. It's fun yeah. to watch somebody come into the league. Just like last season, it was really a lot of fun to watch Halliburton come into the league. And you're like, man, he just he outthinks everybody on the court. And the whole time you're just like in amazement with how far advanced he was like mentally over, over the players he was up against. Um, which I, I think... Like, it's not a fair segue, but I'm going to segue to it anyways. Um, Sean and I, Sean is a Duke fan. Uh, George <laughs> Carl almost punched him one time because Sean showed up to practice wearing a, a Duke uh, he, said, he said it was a polo. jersey, and it was just a pullover. It was, yeah. And it had the smallest little Duke logo. And what did he say to you? He said, Do you want me to say what he said? <laughs> That's, as long as there's no F-bomb. I he think said, is that an F in Duke jersey? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I said, I said, hey, I knew I not not to wear it around you. Yeah. And of course George is a North Carolina guy. And he goes, if you didn't know that. He goes, that's BS. Yeah. But he did not say BS. He no. said that. <laughs> No, he, he let it fly, which was great. And I thought it was a fun moment, but it, it always look my Duke fanship, uh, w- which began in El Dorado Hills when, when Bobby Hurley had a camp up there and all of Duke basketball showed up. Gotcha. Um was great. I used to live up there, and Bobby Hurley was a Duke product, and you know now he's now he's coaching Marvin Bagley's brother Marcus at Arizona oh, yeah. State. That's true. Um, but no, look, my my fascination with Marvin coming into Sacramento Kings had and nothing. That's, uh, we're we're segueing to Marvin, yeah, just we so are. everyone knows. <laughs> it, it, it always happens that way. It yeah. feels like I'm the Marvin apologist, and I'm really not, especially this over this past week. Um, but. What it is for me was, look, you got a guy who should be a 20 and 10 guy. I agree. To me, it, le- it jumped off the page. You look at the way the team was built, and, you know, we've had these conversations for years, and anyone who's heard me talk about it, it's like, I understood what they were doing when they were drafting him. Yep. They had, they, it wasn't that they believed in Marvin Bagley so much. It was, they had an ultimate belief in De'Aaron Fox. They loved De'Aaron Fox, uh, and they wanted to pair a center with De'Aaron who could run like a gazelle. Center slash power forward, whatever on, you want to call Marvin. And on paper and everything you saw in college and in high school, that looked to be – now, it doesn't always work that way. You can have your strategy. And, look, I look, 
I can always say I can convey what they were thinking. Yep. I liked Marvin. It's not that I didn't like Luca. It's not that I didn't like Trey Young. It's not that I didn't like DeAndre Ayton. I understood it. I understood what they were doing. Um, I, it, I, I understood it as well. Yeah. And I said, hey, I think he's a 20 and 10 guy, and I'm, I'm totally comfortable. I still would have drafted Luca. Yeah. And just so people know, the Michael Porter Jr. Uh, situation. The Kings would have drafted Michael Porter Jr. at number two yes. if they didn't get his medicals. And uh, I literally was told by someone within the franchise at the time, we wouldn't touch him at all, at all, anywhere in the draft. And people forget that Michael Porter had two back surgeries after that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the, I think he's been cut three times before he was 20. Yeah. And so, so anyway, to segue. Well, and everyone has the ability of hindsight, right? And yeah. It's, and, and here's the other thing. Think of think of where Luca went in that draft. Not to make this a Marvin Luca thing, but like, I mean, how do you feel if you're Phoenix or the Hawks? Yeah, you know, I mean, the well, Hawks had to make the trade. Yeah, they they traded him, <laughs> <laughs> and DeAndre Ayton, the the Suns just didn't give him his rookie skill extension. Yeah, he's in the same situation as Marvin going into the season without a rookie. And Jaron Jackson's had a knee, so you yeah, know, it's it, like Marvin's injuries are not that they're not. Oh, no. and here's the thing: you don't know. We didn't know Marvin would be this soft. Now, I'm not even saying injury-plagued because, look, the guy gets pushed around a lot, and I think a lot of that's the lack of development on the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, You're hoping to see something different, but he's got to earn it. Nothing's given in this league. You have to earn it. And that's why the comments made by his agent, Jeff Schwartz, uh, right around right before the season tipped off in Portland were not doing his client the biggest of favors. No, I mean, he he flamethrowed. The, the, it took a flamethrower to the Sacramento yeah. Kings. I'll say this. Um, like, I, I've talked about Marvin on the radio, especially a lot with uh, with Damian and, and, and Kenny. At, Shout out D'Lo at, and Casey. Yeah, D'Lo and Casey, my boys, over at 1320. Like, we've talked about this a lot. But my point to Marvin will always be, like, first of all, he's. it doesn't matter what happens. He can't shake the fact that he's not Luka. And, and so that's a problem. Um, he can't shake the fact that it wasn't even – like three months into the season and his dad was uh, on, you know, Instagram calling Dave Yeager, Coach Yogurt in the right. middle of a game um, and, and calling him out. And Marvin was having a great game, but he didn't play him in the fourth quarter and that just unleashed the fury. Um, like at a certain point, Marvin had to take a step back and ask his dad to take a step back and he didn't do it. And I think that that damaged him dramatically. Plays 13 games in year two. That damaged him dramatically. I, it's not even the the type of injury. He's fine. He, like I don't think he's going to have a, a career of foot injuries. It all comes down to one thing: is that he missed the development time that he needed. Yep. And by the time he was ready to play 45 games, like he played last year, or 43 games, whatever it was, um, he had missed so much time of development that there's no way you can get around just watching him make mental mistakes on the floor and. He's a good kid. I know he means well. I don't have any problems with him being a, a rapper because if I had problems with that, I got to have problems with De'Aaron Fox playing like 14 hours of Call of Duty every day. <laughs> like, like I have no problems with it. Right. Like, that's you're fine. You can be who you want to be. I just think that it's over. It's over in Sacramento, and the only option, I think Marvin Bagley can still be a really, really good mm-hmm. NBA player. He cannot be a really good NBA player in Sacramento. He's not going to get a shot to do that. And it wouldn't have worked either way. The fans don't want to see him succeed for some reason. Um, it's busy. well. I'll, I'll, let's let's talk about that part yeah. a little bit because I think there's a difference between what you see on social media and what you see in the game. Fast forward to the home opener, okay? That game, it's where 
all of a sudden Marvin Bagley shows up off the bench. In game two. He was gets a standing one? ovation. Yeah, was that crazy? No, because my point is, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a, look. Social media. It's social media. It's not a true representation of your fan base. I'm yeah. sorry, it isn't. Go look at the, go look at your fans in an average NBA building. They're not young. They're not spouting off. You're like, you're going to no. have that element. But again, that's such a small representation of your it fan is. base. What I will it's say, the noisy minority. Right. What yeah. I will say about here, this is what's crazy to me. Marvin Bagley and Davion Mitchell are the same age. Yeah, I think Davion is a little older, isn't right. he? Right. So the point being is, yeah, people are done with Marvin. Some people, some people, done with Marvin Bagley. Right. Look, if you're bothered by outside noise, that shows a weakness on yourself, both for Marvin himself and for the organization. If the organization is bothered by things his agent and, and, and his family have said, you're the one that employs the kid. He is your employee. If you let that become a factor, there's two things you're doing. You're showing a weakness in yourself as an organization, and you're giving everybody a blueprint. Hey, you don't want to be in Sacramento? Just do this and you get the hell out. It's easy. So, But do you think that's, that's what we're seeing? Yes, quite a bit. Because, look, Jeff Schwartz has to do what's best for his client. And it's hysterical to me that he thinks that this is the – the the road to getting Marvin out because yeah. as you pointed out uh, a few weeks ago or a few days ago really about the money and how much the qualifying offer can be if he's a starter and plays X amount of games yes. compared to where he's at if you're the Kings and you're saying boy we don't have to extend him I still have control over him now granted have they tried to trade him yes yes have they looked at deals that they think that they can get better possibly yep. but the fact of the matter is they haven't traded him they haven't traded him He's still under team control. And even if you don't, you, it's up to you if you want to have him go out. You can make him be a restricted free agent. And Marvin Bagley at six and a half, or I think I'm, 7. I'm 7. 2. 7. 2, 7.2, yep. compared to 14.8, thank you, is a hell of a lot more attractive. Yeah, it's okay? a starter criteria. So I'll explain really quickly. I won't delve deep into it. If Marvin Bagley averages. 41 games played as a starter in two seasons combined, the last two seasons of his deal, then he, he qualifies for what's called the starter criteria, which gives him the the qualifying offer. His qualifying offer is that of the second pick in the draft. If he does not reach that benchmark or 2,000 minutes in the final season, uh, which is not going to happen either, right? Um, if he doesn't reach either of those, then his qualifying offer drops to the 15th pick in the draft, which is $7.22 million. So it is basically, it cuts his qualifying offer in half. And qualifying offer basically, in order to retain the right of first refusal, the right to match any deal from Marvin Bagley, the, the Kings have to extend a qualifying offer. The Kings or any team that they trade him to have to extend the qualifying offer. Right. If you extend a qualifying offer to Marvin Bagley at $14.8 million, his agent is going to sign the paper before it like even gets out <laughs> of the Before he even blinks. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's done. They're $14.8 million, we'll take it. And right. then I'll become an unrestricted free agent next year, and I don't care. Either way, I just made $15 bucks, yep. and that could be the most money Marvin ever makes again in his career in one sing- single season. So I think the qualifying offer thing is really interesting, but don't forget that if he drops below that amount, which the teams will know at the trade deadline uh, if he's going to reach the starting criteria or not, then 
then the Kings, he has more value in trade because now he's not just an $11.8 million contract. He's a nice young player that could develop into something different somewhere else. Yeah. And so that qualifying offer being much lower gives him an opportunity to potentially, I think it's good for everybody involved. I agree. Honest. And you know what's crazy is like we're hearing people say, oh, just cut him. Oh, just oh, no. get it. No, like, no. like, this isn't how it works. And yeah. just because you might be tired of the storyline or the fatigue of it all, look, I will say this. I'm not absolving him, his agent, his father of blame, because the one thing I pointed out is I don't understand how this kid, and yes, he is still a kid. Yep. The people who have his best interests at hand and at heart, they do him the least favors. Yeah. And it's, 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 it, it unbe- it's unbelievable because, again... I think fans know that when Marvin Bagley was right and playing, he it, coinc- it coincided with their best basketball, James. Like, they had their best records with him when he was healthy. Yeah. And then when he wasn't in the lineup, they were terrible. How do you go from being a rookie, which obviously he experienced a couple injuries in his rookie season yep. as well, but you go from that to not playing in your second year to all of a sudden in your third year, and you're just like, I'm done with this guy, yeah. where he has another setback. Look. I think, it, he doesn't do himself any favors. He doesn't liking stuff on social media, but all, none of that, none of that matters. Leaving the team for thirty days, which the team that, let him do. The team let him do, and that's uh, to that, me again. That, that was is indicative of the team. How do you let a guy go home? How do you allow even if you him let him go home for a week and then come back and train with Rico Hines on your right hand? Right. I, 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 it, I agree. It's, it's so again. It's not a problem with Marvin. As so much to me, it is a it's indicative of what the organization has done. And granted, they didn't draft him, but but there are those in power, and we all know who they are, yeah. who did draft him and yeah. did like him. And if they want to throw that on Vlade, that's fine. But the the, the pressure's off. Your guys didn't draft him. Yeah. You can reap the benefits, or you can make it look let it fall. If you let it fall completely on its face and don't get better by trading him, don't get better by letting him walk out the door. What did we just see with people were upset with? Um, help me out here. They had a, they had someone leave and they didn't get anything for him recently oh. in the off season. Um, Willie Cauley Stein. Willie Cauley Stein was one. You didn't get anything for. Oh, her. Bogdan. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah. So yeah, that trade with Indiana falls apart, and then uh, he oh, goes. Yeah. He goes to Atlanta, and you don't get anything for him. Yeah. Yeah. And with even, the even Travis Schlenk, the general manager of the Hawks, go, yeah, we had we had a deal we were going to give Sacramento, and they didn't want it. Yeah, like they just they were intent on letting go. So again, people hear that, and it's like, and that's not sourced material. That's a GM on record saying we had this deal with Sacramento. I do. I, like I can tell people what that deal was. Like they had a draft pick that, if it wasn't going to be relayed, it would have become two seconds, and the Kings were waiting and waiting and waiting before the qual right. to, to, to make a decision on what they wanted to do and once they signed the qualifying offer you can't trade with somebody right it, it's over so there was a mistake there that was made but like to hear oh they gave up a first round it wasn't really a first round correct pick. they correct. were not going to get the first round pick because it was okc's pick or something and it dissolved into two second rounders so you gave up two second rounders that's for sure yeah um yeah like i, I totally like the marvin situation is is really bizarre i'll say this last my last thought on on marvin um, and I'll relay this to myself. Uh, when I was uh, in a weird often? way, in a weird way, uh, when I was 14, playing, and I was a freshman at Nevada Union playing football, I was 95 pounds and I was five foot tall. 
and I got battered. I just, at, like, when I got to play, it was, like, the last 40 seconds of the game when we were already up, like, well, I mean, we were already up, like, 80 to something at that point, or, or 72 to something, um, but I never got to play. Um, and I was at a game. I was standing on the sidelines. All I did was cheer on my teammates. I was super noisy, super engaged. I was not a hindrance, but it's a big team. It's 55 kids. I was standing there on the sidelines, and it got late in a game, and I heard my mom start yelling from, for the coach to put me in the game from the sidelines. And I will tell you, like, my mom's not a, a bad mom. She's a little short lady, <laughs> and but she's got lungs. Like, I've got lungs. Uh, after the game, I walked over to my mom, and I told my mom, if you ever do that again, I will never invite you to another one of my sporting events. And if you do come to one of my sporting events, I'll leave. I'll quit right then because I will. You're not going to do that and embarrass me in front of all my classmates who are sitting in the stands, all my teammates that are on the on the field with me, and my coaches. Because that means if you're yelling for me to go in the game and putting, that means someone else doesn't get to play too. So it's not just me. There are other kids here who didn't get to play, and that's not okay. And you know, again, I had like I was at practice, and a guy who was a starter. Uh, his mom came and screamed and yelled at the coach because he, they weren't throwing the football to him enough. Like, to me, that's not okay. Right. And so at a certain point, for me, I was 14 when it happened. Marvin needed to go tell his dad, don't do it again. Everyone's different, De though. De'Aaron Fox told his dad, don't do it again. He did. Everyone's different, though. And here, I will say this. The culture in which the family has brought their kids through sporting, through sports and athletics. Yeah. They have a culture of pulling their kids out of programs yep. and jumping ship to another one and jumping ship to another one. Marcus almost did it. He entered tra tra uh, transfer protocol. Transfer protocol and he entered the draft. Draft, which was fine because, yeah. look, look, a lot of players will do that. They'll want to get an idea of where they're going to go in the draft. Of course. But at the end of the day, when he pulled out of the draft, realizing that he's maybe a second-round pick, goes he, he goes back to college and removes himself from transfer protocol to go back to Arizona State. I was shocked that he decided he was going to enter transfer protocol when the guy was hurt. He had a wrist injury last year for the better part. Of, and I already hear the jokes coming, Bagley with another Bagley with injuries. Um, but that he had a wrist injury for the most part. To enter, It's one thing to enter the draft. You didn't need to enter the transfer protocol. Yeah. Like, it's just a culture this family has of trying to put their kids in situations that are going to be better, where they're always thinking, like, the, the, little, the little taste of adversity – and they wilt, and it's like we got to go on to another thing. Look, that family is a great family. They they have all the best intentions. And Marvin is a great kid. Great kid. Yeah. They, they are a great family. What I'm saying is, though, it's tough. Not everybody can stand up to their parents and say, hey, you fool, <laughs> shut up in the stands or whatever on social media and leave me alone, let me do my thing. But to that point, it shouldn't come to that is my point. Like yeah. the noise – should not take away like if you are the kings and you're bothered by what the family is saying he's still your employee yeah you go to that family and tell them to shut up you go to that to that agent and you relay the message of this isn't helping and we're not going to trade you and then i'm talking about years ago when things yeah. happened not not necessarily now because obviously we know things are a little bit different but luke comes out and says he's not part of my opening night rotation we saw him the next day with the next game in sacramento off the bench yeah. So lots can happen. Lots can change throughout the course of an 82-game season. And look, Marvin needs to make this work. The last thing, look, people already know he's a soft player because he doesn't 
chalk it up to not having the experience on the floor, yep. the ability to grow, whatever you want to say, at the end of the day, you're a very soft player. You have an elite second jump. You have a nice left hand. You have a... He's a good rebounder. You've extended the floor. You've yes. I don't know he that you're shoot. a stretch for, but at 22 years old, compared to where you were when you came into Sacramento with the ball in your hands off the plane, you yeah. are a infinitely better player, uh, infinitely better shooter than you were yes. coming out of Duke. My point is, you got to let it happen. So much can change in this league. And again, he's got to make this work. He needs he needs to have a very good season, no matter whether no matter what that looks like, off the bench, whatever. The thing I think he has this year, and this is, seems hokey to say, but you have two vets like Mo Harkless and Tristan Thompson that hopefully stay in his ear. Yeah. Whether because look, I know everyone's different. Body language can be a certain thing. There are times where he's sitting on the bench and he looks like he doesn't want to be there. There are other times where he is up and he's cheering on his teammates, yep. and it's infectious where everyone else is doing it and he is too. There are other times where it's earlier in the game, everybody's on their feet and he's still sitting there. He doesn't look like he's sulking. He just doesn't look like he's all that engaged. Yeah. You need to have a vet in your ear, and you need to have somebody just absolutely telling you. And look, the one vet that is going to go the longest on this team in doing – best from what for Marvin and the team is Doug Christie and he is inseparable from the guy Doug is tied at his hip all the time yeah and I think that's going to have a, a huge effect on the kid yeah I think that there's a lot of things the Kings can do to help him even if it's help him figure things out going forward if he's not on the team right and, and so I think there's a possibility he could be traded anytime but yep like his agents said oh they had value they had value the Kings aren't taking a bad contract back for him. No, they're they're gonna. He he has a tremendous amount of value as a twelve million dollar expiring contract. Hundred percent for them. And so, like, if they can pack him, package him with Buddy, they can package him with someone else to go get a player that will help them. That's what they're doing. They're not gonna do something that doesn't help them. And, and they should. And why would you? Why would? You? Why would you? Yeah. Worst you know. case scenario, he walks. Even if he becomes good somewhere else, like he was not gonna become good here. It's just the way that it's. See, and I, out. it's. I, I just don't get that definitive with it. I know we've had that conversation where it's yeah. like, look, what does springtime look like? I mean, James, by we the, the, the roster could look different by December. Oh, of course. He could be traded. He could still be. He might be a, a part of the rotation at another point in this season. Yeah. No, I, and again, I agree. Yeah. If, if the if the like you mentioned with the with the money, if you get in the off season, you still have him. I'm signing him to qualifying offer. Yeah, the qualify. I, I I'm going to have team with control with it. No, I would yeah. agree with you. All right, so we're going to wrap things up here. Um, you know, we've gone a good amount of time. Our food here at uh, the Yard House has gotten cold, but our server has been absolutely spectacular filling up our iced teas the whole time. Uh, we're we're going to be transparent with you always. It, this is kind of like the car cast with Doug, uh, where I tell you where we're at in the road. We're, <laughs> we're sitting here with cold food and with uh, our iced teas and water filled up. It's to good the for room. me because I got a salad. Yeah, there we go. Um, but... We're going to do a segment this year on the show. It's called The Business of Basketball. And, um, you know, I, I think with each individual people, the business of basketball will be different. So when I have Jerry Reynolds here, we might have him walk through, like, what a trade, how you, you actually do a trade call and, and stuff like that. But uh, with some of my media friends, I'm, I'm going to ask them, uh, maybe what's your greatest story or, or something crazy that's happened to you. Me and Sean will go back and forth. I mean, we were both in the locker room the night that uh, DeMarcus Cousins basically took like a like a like a sledgehammer to George Carl and then <laughs> we walk in the locker room it's all quiet it's all awkward like something clearly happened we didn't know what happened and then Vivek walks in the door with Drake 
and it literally turned out to be the strangest, most awkward night in the history of, of being in the locker room. But uh, Sean is a guy, um, if you follow him on Instagram, I mean, he's a guy who literally has taken pictures with everyone in the world. <laughs> like, he's got a, uh, was it Paris Hilton story? I have a Paris Hilton story. He, he's got all kinds she of... She says, these, I saved her life. Yep. He's got, <laughs> he's got crazy stories. He's lived, like, 14 different lives. Um, but there's one story in particular that... Uh, I want to hear, and, and that is, uh, it's LeBron's first game ever, right? LeBron's so. first game here in Sacramento in 2003, and uh, what a night. I mean, national TV all over the place, everyone's waiting for it. And what was funny, if you're a Kings fan and you go to Kings games, they used to give out the game time program. Yep. And <laughs> it would always feature a Kings player typically on there. I remember the closest thing it happened. I remember going as t- to Jordan, the 72 win team, okay? Jordan and the Bulls come through town, and the game time program that that night was Mitch Richmond guarding Jordan from a game last year, right? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, they've got, like, a visiting player on the game time program. But at least it involved the other the, the Kings as well. Here's Mitch guarding Michael Jordan. Yeah. Well, I used to always carry, as a member of the media and radio at the time, I used to have to cover the visiting locker room mostly and especially on game nights and so I would have a mini disc recorder and I would always hold the game time program because you'd go into the visiting locker room and they're not wearing their jerseys and you want to make sure you know what numbers are who because a lot of times above the locker they would just write the number of the player so I'm you know I'm still very brand new to this for the most part and I'm coming over there and I have to cover the LeBron's uh, first press conference which Paul Silas the Cavs uh, coach at the time did not want to give him a press conference did not want to put him up on a on a chair he wanted him to be treated like everybody else but she couldn't treat LeBron like everybody else yeah. in his first game with all that national media there so they had to bring him out to basically the entrance of the locker room right next to this big hangar door and he does his first locker room report so me as a radio reporter I had to get the sound and I had to I had to literally run it back play it out courtside so that uh, the Cavs radio and the Cleveland station had it. Now, if you know anything about me and my radio days, oftentimes they used to give me the jankiest equipment you've ever seen in your life. So my re- my mini disc player was refurbished, so it didn't quite work very well. It had a little it had a couple little bugs to it. So I come out of, of the visiting tunnel, and I'm sitting there, and I and to my left is is Cavs radio where I have to take the mini disc recorder to. And to my right is this grandmother and these two children uh, who are going to be meeting LeBron because LeBron walked right out after I stopped and started looking at my media recorder. They are right to my right, and they're talking, and they're having a meet and greet with LeBron. And I just kind of look at this like, oh, this is a cool moment. So while my mini disc recorder is literally writing, if you remember CD bur- CD uh, CDs that you would burn music to back in the day, you had to write it. So it would sit there and burn. It took a minute to burn that data to that disc. And that's what my recorder was doing. It just takes about three minutes to do. So I'm sitting there watching this, and I see this whole thing. And under my mini disc recorder, I've got my game time program. I pull my microphone to the back of my pocket to get my Sanyo 5190 phone from Sprint to take a picture of this moment of him meeting with this, this kid. Yeah, these two kids. He signs some autographs for him, and then I go and put my phone back. I go back to get my mic out of my back pocket, and I feel the game time program come out of my left hand, where my mini disc recorder is also. <laughs> I thought I dropped it. I look up, and LeBron is handing it to me after signing it. 
<laughs> and if you know anything about me, like I, there, I'm not getting in, I'm not getting autographs. I'm not doing any of that. You can lose your, your. It's against the law. You can lose your credential for getting an autograph. I don't know. Not against the law. It's, it's the. It's against the rules. Yeah. A, it's it's we're highly not allowed. Unethical. We're not allowed to ask for for autographs. None or, of that. or take pictures. Now it doesn't yeah. stop some people from doing it, but I don't do that. <laughs> I will not be doing that. Um, the Carl Landry shoe situation is all. Shout out to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he risked it all for a Carl Landry shoe. That's right. So, LeBron signed the Game Time program, which in the, I was getting to the Game Time program. Is LeBron is prominently featured on. Like yes. he's up at the top, and the Kings are at the bottom, and they put him at the top of the Game Time program. He signed it, and I'm like, I said, oh. Le- uh, uh, I start stammering. I said, LeBron, I, I'm not. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to get your autograph. He goes, what? I go, and I literally he just what? And I just go. I wasn't trying to get your autograph. I don't want to lose my credential. And he pauses for a second, and he's got, he's just like, and then he just hands it to me, and I take it, and I go, I drop my head, and the neck, he walks away. Right as I look at it, my, <laughs> my mini disc stops. Fortunately, it's there. I look over to my left at Cavs Radio. Tim Montemayor, who was with me in that scrum, uh, for, to, for LeBron's scrum, I look over, he's on the air for KHDK, looking at me with his headset, and he doesn't scream no, but he mouths no! <laughs> like, what did you do? So I take the disc over to him, and I'm like, there's no effing way I tried to get LeBron's autograph. You saw the whole thing, blah, 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 blah. And, I, and I'm like, I said, look, call Darren May, who was the head of media relations at the time. Darren May is going to come over. I'm going to tell him. I was like, look, I will rip this up right now. I wasn't trying to get LeBron's autograph. He didn't, Monty didn't care. He just got the sound. He's like, what took so long? My mini disc recorder took so long. Darren comes over. I go, hey, uh, LeBron's, and then literally Darren just goes, I don't give an S. (laughs) And just his voice. So yeah, so for more, and now it looks genius on my part because I still have it. It's been in a shoebox up until the pandemic where I actually took the time to actually frame this. I said, you know what? It's a fun story. I love telling the story. I honestly didn't try to do it. But because I'm not that smart, like who would have thought? Like, look, everyone thought LeBron would be good. And but this is times? LeBron's first game. It's LeBron's first game. It's his first game time. The first program from his very first NBA game, and I have it signed. His signature has changed a thousand times since then. Yeah. But yeah, I should probably go out. It's not like it says to Sean. It's just this little signature on the game time program. Sean yeah, is independently wealthy. I yes. So break, <laughs> don't break into my home because it's not there. I did get a big frame, and I'm I've I've, I've got it at a relative's house now, and yeah, it's. Uh, I'm pretty. Pr- I'm proud of the story. I'm not proud of how it happened, but I definitely was not wise enough to think. Yeah. Now, in hindsight, I probably would have found out a way to try to get something beautifully signed and from that game, be- knowing how much how much money that that could be worth potentially today. Oh yeah. Well, I think it's what crazy. you have is probably worth a ton. It, it's. It reminds me, like when I was young, I I had a moment where uh, Olden Polonese was signing autographs at Incredible Universe. And I, I got in the line at the end of the line, and I got up to the front. And I said, hey, Olden, I don't want an autograph. He had already signed, so he handed me. I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it. But uh, I want to see if you'll go in the karaoke booth and sing with me and my buddies. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. And Olden's like, this was when I was young. I was like 19 probably. And he goes, nah, man. I'm like, look, man, I'll let you choose a song. He goes, eh, all right. So me and Olden Polonese and, like, these three guys that I knew, three or four, we went into the karaoke booth at Incredible Universe, which is was Fry's. I don't know if Fry's is still around. Oh, no. At least and not locally. We sang Teddy Bear by Elvis, <laughs> and I shared a mic with, with Olden Polonies, who, like, again, is I was probably, like, 145 pounds in Olden's, uh, a, a gigantic seven-foot uh, dude. And we and 
there was a tape somewhere. Like somebody has it on tape where we actually got uh, we sang Teddy Bear with Elvis. And, That's incredible. Yeah, like he was rubbing his hand over my head when like in the middle of the song and like. <laughs> Unbelievable! This should be video of that. Can I give you one more before we get out of here? Okay. Because it is World Series. Dusty Baker, shout out in the World Series. He's going to be managing the Houston Astros. Sean should be saving these stories because we're going to do this every week. But I have to say this because we just talked about autographs and as a kid. I was poor, and I was the poor kid living in El Dorado Hills for a time. Yeah, that's not good. No, it, it sucks. The day sports changed for me forever, and I only think of this because of the LeBron story. <laughs> we go to a car dealership to meet Dusty Baker. First of all, if you know anything about these car dealerships, usually the first 200 people in line get autographs. Yep. Uh, I had somebody who wasn't all that enthused about taking me to go meet Dusty Baker. I had this ratty-ass baseball that... that you wouldn't have anybody sign, but it was the only baseball I had. Got it. I go down there to this car dealership, I'm last in line, and for whatever reason, they let me go through. They'd run out of the pennants that they were signing at the time. He, Dusty Baker's Giants manager. Weeks before that, they had traded Will Clark, or they let Will Clark walk to Texas for a $35 yep. million dollar contract, my favorite player, him and Barry Bonds. I get to Dusty Baker, I sit down there, he, I give him the ratty baseball, he goes, you really want me to sign this? And I go, yeah, it's, it's, it's the only baseball I, I have. He goes, hey, do we have any more of those pennants? He had a pennant that he signed, but he misspelt the kid's name. So he crosses it off, crosses that guy's that name off, and puts two Sean on there. And he goes, here you go. And he still signed my ratty baseball, which is great. But I said, Mr. Baker, can I ask you a question? And he goes, yeah, what's up? And I go, why did you guys let Will Clark go to the Texas Rangers? And he goes, well, son. And he can tell that I'm a poor kid because I have a ratty-ass baseball. And he says... What if you were to ask your mom right now for a hundred dollars? And I said, oh. "Which she says, would she give it to you?" I go, "Oh, no way!" And he goes, well, "That's what we told Will." <laughs> sports forever changed. Yep. For then I found out how much sports was a business, and it blew my mind. And from that day, at thirteen years old, or all thirteen years old, it was never the same for me. All right, Dusty See, Baker. Sean's Sean's got stories. <laughs> business of baseball. Yeah. Well, maybe next time we'll talk about. Uh, him saving the life of Paris Hilton. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> um, all right. So, look, this is our uh, our first show. We ran a little long. Um, again, our food is cold. Um, <laughs> but we're going to keep doing this. And big uh, big thanks to Sean for, for deciding to join me on this venture. Uh, we're going to be doing this nonstop. You're going to see a bunch of stuff in the next couple of days. Not only the podcast is back, uh, but I'll be writing long form um, you're going to have opportunities to subscribe and to support James and his new adventure as he uh, he changes gears away from NBC. Uh, big shout out to my guys at 1320 for taking me on board. I'm super excited about that new adventure, uh, and you'll hear us on the radio all the time. You didn't give um, your win total. My win total? Oh, yeah. What are you? Oh, we didn't even get That's to okay. that. I, I can just give a number with no analysis. Okay. What, what's your win total? What, I say 37. At 37? That's four better, four or five better than last year? I had 42. Oh, that, goodness. Yeah, that's that's my... That's, that's my, high. It, it might be high. Uh, or you're high. <laughs> uh, no, I mean... Yeah, we didn't even drink a beer here, Sean. Nope. Um, but yeah. Uh, okay. So this is going to be an adventure. And I'm going to ask you guys to come on and, and join us on the adventure. I want things to be different. Uh, I want feedback from you. I want you to tell me ways in which we can do things better, things that you like, things that you don't. Uh, I'm going to be an open book with you as much as possible. I got some cool things that we're going to do at the King's Beat 
where you might even get to have like happy hour, uh, a happy hour Zoom call with James where we just sit down and have a beer and talk about King stories and uh, maybe Sean will join us on those. Uh, well, if there's beer, I'm there. Yeah, we'll, we'll add video components to this uh, at some point and uh, we're going to do some really cool stuff. So uh, thanks for joining us on the first episode of the King's Beat podcast. For Sean Cunningham, I am James Ham. We'll see you very soon.